Well, good morning again. I'm glad to see you all this morning. My name is Jason Simon. I am the senior pastor here at University Baptist Church, so <laughs> so glad you're all here. If there are things that you've loved, please let me know at the end of the service. If there are things you haven't loved, coming down the hall or anything, we will have our suggestions box outside the office um, New Year's Day this week, so please come by. If the doors are locked, sorry. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, if you're a guest, welcome. My name is Jason Simon. That is true. I am not the senior pastor. Our pastor's name is Jeremiah Smith. He and his family are enjoying some much-needed time away and rest today, and I have the privilege of being able to be here with you all. I am the student minister here at the church, which means I work with the community in general. I work with our church as a whole, and, and specifically, I serve alongside our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, and our college students, and it's a joy and a privilege to be able to do that. I'm just a little bit about me. I have been here on staff for over a year. We've loved every minute of it. My family and I are blessed to call UBC home. We're blessed to be able to do this with you guys day in and day out. And I went to Oklahoma State University. Um, we're not going to talk football today at all. That's Jeremiah's thing, not my thing. So um, I am a graduate of Oklahoma State. I graduated from there with a teaching degree. I taught high school chemistry for a while. Ugh. Everyone always says, ugh. Uh, after that, I taught, uh, or during that time, I also taught physical science to students who didn't know English. And I only know English, so that was pretty awesome. It was a joy. That was back in Oklahoma. My family moved down here a couple years ago. We've been missionaries here in the DFW area for some time, and now we're on staff. And again, like I said earlier, we serve with our students, and it is a joy. I just wanted to kind of introduce myself to you all. Um, I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you today. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, so if you have a Bible, if you want to open it to Colossians, if you don't have a Bible, use your phone. If you don't have a phone, there's a Bible in your pew rack, so you're welcome to use any of those. We'll also have the verses on the screen. Uh, while you flip open to Colossians, um, I would love to take a moment to just pray over the word and, and pray over this time. Father God, we thank you so much that we can come, um, like Kevin said earlier, that we can bring you our excellence, that we can pursue excellence in your name. And God, we just pray that you're glorified by, by the works of our hands, God, by the things we do and say. And Lord, we pray during this time that you would, you would speak to us through your word, Father, that you would um, just come and move in us in a mighty way, that this wouldn't be just a Sunday sermon or or the Sunday after Christmas, God, but that this would be a day where we are confronted with the gospel in a real and heavy and beautiful way. We thank you for your willingness to come alongside us, the broken people, and to use us, just mere broken vessels, God, um, to use us for your name. So we give all those broken pieces over to you. We thank you for this morning and this time that we can share together as a church and for the blood of Christ that keeps us all together. It's in that name we pray. Amen. In the book of Colossians, we're going to be specifically in chapter 3 today. Chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, before we read that verse, though, it's important to have some context over what the book of Colossians is saying. Um, chapter 3, verse 17, if you go look in most commentaries, it's not mentioned other than to say, hey, this is self-explanatory, do it. Um, but I think the first half of Colossians speaks so much into it that we're going to do a quick survey of Colossians, and then we'll get into verse 17. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know that, it was written, most scholars believe, in about 60 AD. Um, they believe Paul was imprisoned. He was uh, under house arrest during this time, which is pretty significant with what we're going to read. Um, we think this is about the same time that he wrote a couple other letters as well. And he was writing to the Colossian church to encourage them, 
And he was also writing to refute some heresy that was going on in the church, some false teaching that was happening. It's not named. Most heresies weren't named by 60 AD. They were just kind of finding their roots. Um, But you can read through there, and we're not going to get into that today as much, um, other than in how he refuted it. So just know that he's writing to encourage them, to tell them he loves them, though he's not met them, and that he fights for them, that he labors on their behalf, but also to set them straight and, and to share the gospel with them, the true gospel, the gospel that he's come to know um, through his time with the apostles, through his meeting with Christ and his study of scriptures. And that's what he's sharing with them. So after his greetings in the first couple of verses, about 12 verses or so, Paul just jumps right into it in the first chapter, starting around verse 15. He says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. You jump down to verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's powerful. It's really powerful for the beginning of your message. Um, I had a class in college. It was inorganic chemistry. Has anyone in here ever taken inorganic chemistry? See, ah, Yes, you're my people. Um, I loved inorganic chemistry. Uh, essentially, organic chemistry, you, if you can picture the periodic table, go back to like high school science. It's been a while for some of you. Don't tell Jeremiah I said that. Um, organic chemistry is basically about carbon, just one element, and, and what carbon does. Inorganic chemistry is about the whole rest of the periodic table. Organic chemistry is two semesters usually. Inorganic chemistry that covers the whole, the whole other periodic table is one semester, which means you've got a lot of information to cover. And every single day we went to class. Class was four days a week, which is brutal. We would go, we would sit. Class started at 9.20. Usually your professor would come in, kind of get things set up before. My professor didn't like people, so he didn't want to do that. He would come in the door at exactly 9.20. I mean, I had my watch set to when he came in the door. And he would walk in, and he would just start lecturing. I mean, he's in the door, and he just, okay, you guys remember, yesterday we talked about this, this, and this, and you know what they do, and today we're going to talk about this, this, and this. I mean, the board behind him has, like, stuff from the last class about humanities and philosophy. He's over here lecturing about alkaline earth metals, not even got his briefcase open, And then he's lecturing, and he's erasing the board, and he's still talking to us, kind of like I'm doing now, which is obnoxious, you can tell. And he'd be teaching, and he never, I mean, it was like he never even took a breath. It wasn't one of those classes where he'd be like, what do you guys think about this? He would just talk, because he had so much information to cover. There was so much he wanted to say, and he knew he only had just a very short 50-minute class period with us, so he was going to say, everything he needed said. You weren't going to interrupt him. You weren't going to ask questions. He was going to say what needed said so that we would be equipped as budding chemists, that we would be equipped to know what we needed to know. That's essentially what Paul's doing here in the letter with Colossians. He just jumped straight into the supremacy of Christ. He's writing, I told you, to refute this heresy that they had. But before he ever gets to the heresy, 
He says, you know what's foundational is that you know who Christ is. No matter what else, this is what you need to hear first. Hi, my name's Paul. I love you. Here's who Christ is. It was so important that he set that groundwork. Because if they didn't understand that groundwork, if they didn't understand that Christ was supreme or is supreme over everything, then it, the rest of it was all for naught. So he sets this foundation throughout chapter one. And then having that foundation set, he moves forward. And he tells the church, here's what I've been up to. I don't actually know you guys, but I love you. I labor for you from where I am. And here's some things that you've been taught that are not right because of what I just said about who Christ is, about the person and the nature of Christ. He tells them, uh, it's a beautiful verse in chapter 2, verse 3. He tells them that in Christ is the mystery of God. Christ is the mystery of God in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And he says, now you, you know these things here, but you're not bearing them out in how you're living. You're not bearing them out in what you're doing. And there's a big difference between knowing it, being able to say the words, and bearing it out in your life. And he goes on to tell them how to live a life in Christ. And essentially he says, if you are living a life with Christ, this supremacy that I just told you about is inside of you. You have this power of Christ in your life. Are the people around you seeing it? And that same call, that same truth is ours as a church today, as a church that gathers here and all throughout the world and in homes and apartments and around the world, that we have the power of Christ, not just the knowledge of him, which would be a gift in itself just to have the knowledge of Christ. But he goes and says, you have so much deeper. You have this power that should be on display in your life. You should be letting it bear out in your life. And maybe some of you here don't know that. Or, or maybe you have this, this inkling, this feeling of, man, there's more, but I don't know what it is, and I'm, and I'm just searching. Or maybe you are a believer, and you have that same feeling, like there's got to be more. There is, and Paul's saying it right here. Here's what's more. It's Christ. If you need more, it's more of Christ, because in Christ is all. He is all, and he holds all together. And you could never have enough of him. And Christ is the power of God on display. And he came to live a life like we just sung. He came to live a life to put off every sin that entangles. He was fully man and fully God and he did not sin. It says in the Bible he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. And he lived a life without sin. And he did it through submission to God through the Holy Spirit. He did it through submission to his Father, his Heavenly Father, And then he said, now, you go do it. And I know I told you guys we were going to talk about verse 17, but like you can't even get to verse 17 until you you wade through chapters 1 and 2 and hear what Paul is saying about how magnificent Christ is and that he's not just someone we know, but he is who we are. He is in us. And in doing that, he says, okay, now you know Christ is supreme over all. I've told you that. I've told you that he is God taking on flesh and blood. But he also, that blood that he took on, he shed on a cross. He had it until he didn't, until he gave it, and he gave it for you. And he became submissive to death. 
to the most embarrassing and humiliating form of death. But then, not only did he become submissive to death, he showed that death is submissive to him by raising from the grave. And that power is in you. So you should be living like it, is what he's telling this church in Colossae. You should be living like this. You have that same power. And it's in him that you're brought to life. You have responsibility with that. It's to accept that forgiveness. It's to accept the forgiveness that Christ offers. And then to allow that forgiveness to shape you. We're, we're kind of getting into chapter 3. If you want to look at chapter 3, verse 5, there is a command to action. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death. Church, that is a command. And a lot of times when I talk with people, and in my own life, this is so evident, where I'll have something that I'm struggling with, and we'll get into the, the sins he lists in a minute, but I'll have something I'm struggling with, and I'm just waiting for God to take it. And I'm just praying that he would take it. And then I still have it, and I'm like, well, I still have this. Why do I still have this? Just take it. These are sins that, that are, are things that I struggle with on a constant basis. Verse 5 right here says, to change your mindset there, says put to death. That's why Paul spent so long talking about the power of Christ. Because he says this power of Christ, who death doesn't even submit to him. You have that power, now use it. Put these things to death that are of your earthly nature. That's an active participation, not a passive waiting. Put them to death. Verse 5. And then he goes on to say, sexual immorality impurity, evil, lust, evil desires, and greed, which itself is idolatry. He goes on to say anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lies. All these things, put them to death. Didn't say attempt to put them to death sometimes. Just put them to death. They're idolatry, right? Anything you love more than God is an idol. Or maybe anything you spend more time with than God is an idol. Anything that doesn't bear out God in your life is an idol. Put it to death. Most of you probably don't have like golden calves in your home. If you do, reference back to what I said earlier about end of the year donations. Maybe you need to get rid of it. We're here. Um, probably don't have golden calves. But a lot of us have idols that we've set up in our lives. Things that we're not willing to put to death. Maybe it's stress or worry. Because it is so much easier to live in stress and worry than it is to put it to death with the truth of God. Than to fight back against it over and over and over and over. And we, it becomes a companion. And we, we just... We just can't or we won't put it to death we can that's what he's saying right here you can put it to death because christ has conquered death you can put it to death but it's so much more difficult maybe it's not stress and worry maybe it's anger maybe it's this this anger that you have because you're you're unwilling to talk about what's going on so then it's not anger maybe it's pride i struggle with pride 
Janae and I were just talking about coming up here. It's a joy to come and teach before you guys. It's very easy to feel very puffed up about that. And God's been very gracious to keep me humble in some pretty tough ways about that. These, these areas we have to be willing to put to death. Maybe it's a root of bitterness. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. It says don't even let a root of bitterness spring up. Are you bitter? Is that a fruit of Christ? That If someone looked at that area of your life, would that be bearing out Christ? Because he says, put it to death. Put it to death. We'll get more into this in a minute, but maybe it's not. It says filthy language up there. That's not one we often talk about. Because we think about like cursing. Well, I don't, I don't cuss. I don't curse around these people. But, but what about further than that? What about just the jokes that we tell? What about the jokes that we laugh at? The inappropriate things, the things that don't bear out God. He says sexual immorality, and he says filthy language in the same set of verses. I don't think that those are unrelated. The, you know, and they're funny. If you've ever heard an inappropriate joke, if you've never laughed at an inappropriate joke, like you didn't have the same friends I did, because there are some funny jokes that are very inappropriate. But your kids don't hear them, so that's not that big of a deal, right? Or you wouldn't say them in these walls, but elsewhere no one got hurt by it. That's not what he's saying here. You can't read caveats into the Bible that are not there. It says put off filthy language. Maybe it's not inappropriate jokes. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's comments about race. I grew up in a small town. Jokes about race were just jokes until they became ideologies. Or maybe you would never say something about someone's race, but their politics, and it's election year coming up, and Facebook is a thing. Maybe it's politics. Oh, you know, those raging blah, 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 blah. Well, pff, what does he know? He's just a staunch, duh, 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 whatever, fill in the blank. He says, put that off. Maybe it's not race or politics, maybe. Maybe it's sports. I'm from Oklahoma. There's two things we take serious, tornadoes and football. Again, we're not going to wade any more into that. If you know, you know, and you have my condolences about yesterday. I have grown up saying things about people on the other side of a field who were my neighbors, literally lived in my town. Peewee ball, all the way up to trashing the other team in the college playoffs and their fans and their entire state and their entire fan base. Well, it's just football, it's just a joke. We are, we are called to so much more than that, church. We are, we are called to live so much so much more differently than that. And then I come to church, and the same mouth that I've said these jokes with, I praise God. Like, very obviously, a God I probably don't know. Because he calls us to so much more. And here's why it's so important and why I'm kind of spending so much time on this. If we don't allow this gospel that Paul has just laid out, the gospel that we have just, we sang the gospel this morning, if we don't allow that to change us from the inside, what are we doing to the gospel? 
we're saying it's powerless. The gospel is not powerless. If you've ever said, well, this is just who I am. That's just how it's going to be. This is just who I am. Well, that's just who they are. It's just, it's just who they are. They grew up on the other side of, you know, the town. They're just, they don't have any hope. You've shut the gospel down. You've said it's powerless. That is not, as Christians, the witnesses that we are called to be at all. As if you don't think the gospel can change your heart, that's good news because it means there is so much more of the gospel for you. There's so much more that is there and ready for you. And you should be confronted by it everywhere you go. The gospel should confront you in everything. And it should change you. It's not powerless. Like we, I'm science, we've talked about it. I'm a science guy. It's where my brain goes. We serve a God who spoke into chaos and darkness and light just exploded forth at his command. Like he told light to be and light wasn't even a thing and then it became. Look at your fingerprints. Like the same God who crafted your fingerprints has crafted mountains and then moved them. And then, not just the physical thing, but then he took on flesh and he stepped in the world. This God who had all the glory and all the power and all the majesty, all the righteousness, and he took on flesh and blood. And not just as like a human. Well, he was a human. That was confusing. He came as a baby in the most vulnerable way possible. And he came to live a human life so that he could take dirt and craft it and put it on someone's eyes and their blind eyes would be open. That they would, they would see from dirt. And he came and he walked on water. He defied the physical nature of the elements he had created. And he came to bring a name to people who had been forgotten. And to extend a hand to people that were untouchable. And heal them in a moment. And he came to bring forgiveness and freedom for undeserving people. And praise God that he did that. That's not powerless. That is the same power, church, that you have on display in your life, or should have on display in your life in Christ. That same power to be changed and molded and shaped. And as Christians, we should be those people. We have the glory of being changed by the gospel. But we also have this very, very big responsibility of putting that change on display. That's getting us kind of closer to our key verse. That gives you the background with what Paul is saying. He tells them what they should die to, and he tells them how they can die to it, and it's because they have the power of Christ in their life. He says, put these things to death. Put on these things. In verse 12, he says, put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 13, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have. Over all this, put on love, which binds all together in perfect unity. He goes on to say, put on peace. 
And then in talking about the word of Christ, he says in verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you on Sunday mornings. No. Let the message of Christ be something you weaponize to prove your own agenda. No. Sorry. I don't know what translation this is. Um, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Let it dwell in you. And then he concludes this section with verse 17. And he does kind of what he did at the beginning of Colossians, where he said, hey, the foundational thing you need to know is Christ. Here's who Christ is. He's amazing. This is going to blow your mind. This is what you have to know. Here's Christ. He's doing the same thing right here in verse 17, but he's doing the, the, kind of the end cap on it. He's saying, hey, everything I just said, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like in action. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here are the three points. There's, you could write a dissertation on this. Here are the three points that I want to make from this verse. As Christians, we are called to pursue excellence. And I'll explain that in a second. But as Christians, we are called to pursue excellence. And my second point would be, excellence has a name, and it is Jesus Christ. And then lastly, God is glorified when we pursue excellence in the name of Christ. We are called to pursue excellence Excellence has a name, and it is Jesus Christ. And God's glorified when we pursue excellence in all that we do. Whatever you do, he says, whether in word, the Greek word here translated is logos. In, in your Bible, it has a small w. You've probably seen the word with the capital W referencing Christ. This is the word with the little w. It literally means anything that is spoken, which makes sense, right? Whether in word, anything you speak, but it has a deeper foundational meaning, which is whatever you think that moves your words to action. Whatever you have spoken, whatever you think to give rise to those words. Whatever we say, whatever we contemplate in our minds, whatever we allow our minds to dwell on, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, I, I talked about inappropriate jokes and coming to church. And in James chapter 3, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. The answer to, in what arena is it okay to tear someone down and then come to church and praise God? The answer to that is it's not ever. Because God is worthy of so much more than that. And we and the people you hate are worthy of so much more than that for being image bearers of God. We should not praise God with one side of our mouth and tear others down with the other. 
whether it's an inappropriate joke or not, whether it's a racist comment or not, whether it's a like on a post or not. That is insulting to God. And then he says, whatever you do, whether in deed. The word here translated deed is ergon, which means to toil or labor, any action, any action you've taken. So whatever you allow yourself to think, whatever you say with what you've thought, or whatever you're doing, whatever those actions are, everything should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? It looks like pursuing excellence. It looks like pursuing excellence. I live in a world of, like I said earlier, ministering to teens and, and young adults, and it's a joy and it's a privilege and it's a heartache because when people step away from the church, a lot of times it happens in young adulthood. And I live with those stats all the time. There's tons of numbers on them about why people leave the church. Lots of research on it. If I could sum it up for you with two points, which is kind of doing injustice to the research, but these are kind of the two main themes. One would be they've received a poor Christian education. I'm not talking about school. I'm talking about at church. They've received a poor education. And we're trying to fight that here. We're trying to do differently, which I hope we do. Because if not, like, the best thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get fired. <laughs> they're not receiving a better education. The worst thing is that they're never going to know this God. Like, they're never going to have a personal relationship with this Jesus. And that keeps me up at night. That would be the absolute worst. Because their faith, they've never been taught to have their own faith. They've just been taught to hold on to their parents' faith. And then they leave their parents home, and parents are doing a great job. Keep pouring into them. And we're going to keep pouring into them from this side too. And having said that, let me take a moment and, and kind of plug ministry with teens and young adults. If you've ever had a thought along the lines of, man, I wish our young people would do this. I wish that the young people in our church would be more involved in this. Or teens and young adults, if you've ever thought, man, I wish we would do this. That's great. Bring those things to the church. Bring them to me and then bring yourself to come and lead it and help with it and do it. If God's already laid it on your heart, don't find yourself in the pews praying every day that he would lay it on someone else's heart. Get up and come do it with me and we'll equip you and we'll, we'll help you and we'll do it together. And it'll be beautiful because that's who a church is. And that, that kind of leads into the second point. The first would be that there's been a poor education. And the second would be that they've had poor examples. And that's what Paul's hammering home here. If I'm going to be frank with you, church, which I am because that's my job and I have the microphone, we have students who are so wise. We don't give them enough credit. And we don't think that they can see that the people that they're with, I'm not just talking about UBC, I'm talking about just globally, like our body of believers they, they step out into young adulthood and they realize that those people are not doing anything differently than everyone else. That we don't look different. The things we do are not different. And it can't be that way. 
maybe you've experienced that, like those thoughts of, oh, this isn't any different, people aren't different. It's not true. We are different, and we're called to be different. And I'm not saying we're not all broken, because we are broken. But we allow the power of Christ to put us back together in his own image, in his own way. That is the mark of being a believer. We we cannot come here and sing the songs, raise our hands, and write a tithe check, and then fudge on our taxes. Because the government doesn't care, I'm not going to get audited. It's so tempting. You can do it online, TurboTax, you just put your numbers in, you're like, they're never going to know these numbers. Why do they care if I had health insurance or not? Not political, I'm just saying, it's so easy. No one's watching, no one sees. Or maybe it's we're here and we're here every Sunday. We're here every week. You can count on us. And the people at work can count on us to give about 75%. They don't recognize 100%. What's the difference? No one cares if I do 100 or 75. I never get commended on it. I'm just going to do 75 and get by. Or maybe it's that we pass the plate. Like we, we pass the Lord's Supper and we've got the bread and it's representing the body of Christ, which is such a holy moment. And we pass it. And it's just like a symbol of the people we pass every day on our way to work who are homeless and we don't know their names or their stories. We think we do. If someone asked you what's their story, you could probably say, well, they probably, but we don't actually, we don't know them and we don't know their names. And young people, like I hope you're hearing this too, it's not just for the adults. You have a huge ministry in your areas, in your schools in your families, in your communities, on your teams, right? Do people know us as Christ in us, or do they know us as, I'm not going to get my homework done because I didn't want to spend the time on it, and then I'm just going to complain about my teacher the whole time because it's their fault. Do we give practice like 100% because we're there, or do we just try to get through it to get home, to move on to the next thing? Are we... Are we working to promote the glory of God or are we working to promote our own image on social media? How many times do you check how many times that picture was liked or shared or commented on? It's interesting because this list that Paul said in chapter 3, compassion and kindness, there's not a single excuse. He doesn't say put on compassion except for, you know, the person who's hurt you the absolute most. You could draw the line there as long as everyone else you're loving. Praise God, Jesus didn't do that, right? He didn't say put on patience with everyone except the person who fills your conversations with all their own personal junk. Never ask about how your family's doing. There's no caveats. If this is coming down hard, like I apologize, but I'm trying to bring you into my life as I've been studying this because it's so convicting. Because that word that says whatever, that's translated in the Greek, you know what it means? It means whatever. <laughs> it means everything. Whatever you do, everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's hard because it's not, it's not difficult to want to pursue excellence. 
but it is difficult to want to pursue excellence for someone else's glory. And that's what he said here, is pursue excellence and, and do it for the glory of God. A couple quick stories. You don't have to flip here, but in Genesis 11, there's this story of this amazing group of people as far as their, the way that their minds work called the Babylonians. The technical, technological advancements that the Babylonians made, the top in the world. I mean, there are literally, there's evidence of it here. They learned to make bricks, which is a huge deal because it allowed them to come together into these massive communities and cities, and it allowed this culture to develop. To take this mud, they figured out how to pack it and bake it and use it to build. And they had so many things they could have done with it. Genesis 11:4, the Babylonians said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole earth. They had a chance to use this to glorify God, and they didn't do it. And don't think God can't be glorified in, in a brick. Don't think that God can't be glorified in architecture. He is the first architect. And this is what I'm getting at. He's our standard for excellence. We know excellence because we know God. They had a chance to put that on display, and they didn't. They tried to make a name for themselves. The book of Nehemiah has another building story. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. If you're asleep, this is where you'll want to wake back up because his job was cool. He was a cupbearer. It means he got to sit at the table of the king, and whatever wine they brought out to the king, he got to taste which means that on good days, like his job was awesome, and he got to taste the best wine that the community had. It means that on a bad day, though, it was a really bad day. His whole job was to taste this wine to see if it was poisoned. He was like the sacrificial lamb before the king. I'm going to drink this. It's not poisoned. You're good. How would he know if it was poisoned? He wouldn't. Everyone else would, because he would be dead. So he had a really great job. The king trusted him, trusted him with his life. And Nehemiah comes into work one day, and the king says, what is wrong with you? I've never seen you sad. This must be a sadness of the heart. Like he could tell it was this deep, deep sadness. To sum up the story, Nehemiah says, I'm sad because you know I'm Jewish, and my people who survived exile are still living in Jerusalem, and they don't have a wall around their city. They've got no protection. Someone could easily come in, kick them out, remove them, and I'm sad. But he wasn't sad because they could just be hurt or removed. He wasn't sad for them. Verse 9 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah, it says that he's recounting what God told Moses, and he said, I'm going to lead you to a place, to a city that will be a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah is broken because there's no wall and the people could be moved out. And if they were moved out, there would be no one there to reverence the name of God. And he was so broken, he risked his life having a bad day in front of the king. I mean, he couldn't even do anything else. And then he asked the king. The king's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? He's like, well, let me rebuild the wall. <clears throat> no, he says it boldly. He's like, let me rebuild the wall. And send me with letters to get all the stuff I need. Because the name of God should be reverenced. God should be put on high. And he goes and he rebuilds it. Read the book of Nehemiah. It's not very long. It's incredible. They rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. 
52 days, which is a miracle. The thing we don't do well in Oklahoma, like we do football well, we don't do construction well. If you've ever driven through, it's the same construction from when I was a child, from when my parents were a child, same roads, broken. They rebuilt an entire wall, at least the portion of it that was broken in the city, 52 days with weapons in one hand and tools in the other because they were having to keep off everyone who was threatening to come to them. When they finished, the surrounding people heard about it, and it says they were afraid. Nehemiah 6.16, they were afraid because they realized this work had been done with the help of God. They would not have been afraid had Nehemiah cut corners on building that wall. Do you understand how that ties into this verse we're talking about? Do everything. This is a construction project. Not that great and glorious, except it was, because Nehemiah was called to it. And church, if we're called to something, we've got to do it to the glory of the one who's called us. If what you're doing is a calling, you should be doing it to the glory of the one who called you. Jordan Rayner has an excellent book about that. I would love to share it with you if you would like to know. If it's not a calling, if what you're doing in your life is not a calling, pray about it. Because either God is calling you to it or he's calling you away from it. And if he's calling you to it, you should pursue it with excellence, whatever it is. Calling is such a loaded word. I hate to even use it because it tends to make us think of occupations and jobs. And I am, of course, talking about your occupation here. But more than that, so much more than that, every moment, everything. 1 Corinthians 10.31 whether you are eating or drinking or whatever you are doing, do it all for the glory of God. Eating and drinking, the, the menial things, the baseline things, do it to God's glory. I'm going to kind of wrap up. I've got a couple things up here because I'm a student minister and we like to have things. This is a portfolio. If you don't know what it is and you're over the age of 17, you need to talk to me after this. We'll get you one. You can get your name put on them. Very nice. This portfolio I brought to represent work, to represent our jobs, our occupations. You should be doing them to the glory of God. Whether you love your job and it's like a miracle that you have it, or you hate your job and you despise every single day. Whether there's something great coming down the pipeline that you don't even know about that God has in store for you, or he wants you to stay right where you are, it doesn't matter. Right now, in your job, do everything for God's glory. That's how people know we're different because we let the power of Christ be on display even in the things we don't want to do. I brought a portfolio because alongside representing work, it represents meetings. That meeting you don't want to go to, if you're a Christian, you go to that meeting for the glory of God. You go in the name of Jesus Christ, into that meeting. You pick up your portfolio and you walk into that door in the name of Christ with his power in your life on display for those people. And you're different. We're called, we're image bearers of God. If you can point out to me one thing God did not do excellently well, then this point's totally invalid. I have read this book and there's nothing in here that was not done by God with absolute excellence, with perfection. We're called to that. Because we have the power of Christ in us. He's going to equip us for what we have. That means that, you know, maybe it's not meetings. Maybe it's the passive-aggressive email you want to send. You don't send it. This is not a portfolio. 
These are Huggies size three. If you have any extra size three or four diapers laying around, we've got people who can use them. I'm just, just saying. Um, no, this also represents work, good work, meaningful work. Yes, we're going to talk about diapers in church because we're family and we're doing life together, and diapers are real, and it is a struggle. Can I get an amen from somebody? You guys know. I know you know. Diapers. Nothing makes me more aware that I'm a broken human, a broken human in need of Jesus more than my baby monitor going off at 4.45 in the morning because it's 15 minutes before I was going to get up. And we all know those are the best 15 minutes of sleep you're going to get the whole night. Without it, it's shot. It happens every single night. <laughs> every single night. Or, to put it in a better perspective, I woke up this morning, and I wake up, and I'm sleeping so good. Davis has come in our room. He's our three-year-old. He snuggled up on my back. It's like perfect. And I look. We're going to talk about this in church. I'm sorry. My dog is peeing on my floor. Because I'm preaching the sermon today, I got out of bed. I was like, do you need to go to the bathroom? Come on. And we went. We went to the bathroom. And I was like, here's the paper towel. Here's all the stuff. I'm going to clean it up. Ashley got up. I was like, hey, different went to the bathroom on the floor, but it's okay. I got it. Go back to bed. You're great and beautiful. Um, if I was not preaching the sermon today about excellence and everything, I might have responded differently because no one knows. No one's going to know how I respond. And the only person who knows is Ashley, and she doesn't care because she just wants to go back to bed. But church, it's not about that. And as much and as fun as it is, is to get to bring diapers on stage in front of you. It's true. God has called my wife and I to steward over this eight-month-old whose name is Shepherd Charlie, who is beautiful and amazing and can't sleep through the night. And he's called us to steward over him in his name. And to raise him well. And that means changing his diaper. When I do not want to. For you, it may not be diapers, right? Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's doing the dishes or taking out the trash. Any of the menial things. I mean, just washing dishes can be done to the glory of God and should be done to the glory of God. Because someone's going to be like, you're weird. Why are you washing dishes like that? And you're going to be like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. He's so amazing. I don't know why you're washing dishes in public and people are asking you, but hey, wash them. Oh, my Lord. Pick up your water bottle to the glory of Jesus. Did y'all see that form? Um, I brought the diapers to represent the eating and the drinking, just the menial thing. Some of you are not eating and drinking right. Literally, some of you are not eating and drinking to the glory of God. And I don't mean that as a joke. I'm coming back to being serious. There is no such thing as starving yourself for the glory of God. That is not real. There's taking care of yourself. There's, there's getting help if you need help. This has become a big thing. And it's not just young people. It's a lot of young people and it's not just girls. I know your mind goes to young girls. Young girls, we love you and you are beautiful how God made you. And there's a proper way to eat and drink to take care of your body. Young men, old men, Young ladies, old ladies, all of us. It is everything. It is seeing ourselves as image bearers of God and putting to death, which is hard, putting to death every voice that tells us differently, every voice that tells us we aren't worthy, 
every voice that tells us we don't measure up in this area, we put it to death by this power of the gospel on display in our lives, and then people see it and they know that we're different, and we're glorifying God because everything we're doing, we're doing in pursuit of Christ, in pursuit of excellence. I brought one more thing. It's my favorite thing I brought. You saw me this morning. You saw me with it because I couldn't put it down. This. Someone asked if this was a baseball bat. Shame on you. It's not. It's a sword. I brought a sword because that's what you get when you ask the student minister to come speak on a Sunday. (laughs) This sword is representative of the things that we love. Our hobbies, the things we excel at, our joys, the things that should be ours, the things that really bring us glory because they're really what we love. And we are willing to give all of our time to this and none of it to other things because we love it and it's our passion and we want to make our name for ourselves in it. Some of you, you want to make a name for yourself at work. And it's become an idol because you're spending way too much time there. You're giving way too much of yourself to it and you're losing yourself in it. There's a difference between pursuing excellence for God's glory and for our own glory. We aren't made to bear the weight of glory. God is. We're made to give glory and we can and it's a gift. For some of you, it's a trophy family. It's not a job. It's having the perfect family. It's no one in church knowing that your dog pees on the floor in the middle of the night. By the way, if you know how to stop that, please let us know. It keeps happening. This sword is a LARP sword. Some of you have never heard of LARP, L-A-R-P. It means live action role play. LARP is basically where a bunch of people come together. Um, they oftentimes dress up in medieval garb and They bring weapons and things, and they basically reenact medieval time periods. I'm getting some thumbs up. Yes, it can be fun. This sword was made by one of our church members who does LARP and loves it and is really super good at it. Now, here's the thing about LARP. A lot of people who LARP are not believers. They can get very caught up in in the lore of the time, the stories of the time, the different gods and goddesses that they worshiped in the time. Some are. This young lady happens to be a member of our church, a believer. She's amazing. She made this with her hands. Out of nothing, she built it. When she goes to these LARP events, which are sometimes a couple hours of fighting in the, in the park, I mean, there's swords, there's all kinds of stuff, it's intense. Or it can be weekends long or weeks long where they go and they camp out and they cook over fires and they live very primitively Whenever she goes to these things, you know what she asks me? Hey, how can I use this time to share my faith with these people? I'm going to be sitting around a campfire with them all night anyways. It's my job to run the fire. How can I LARP for the glory of God? I'm like, you're doing it. You make something so well. You spend time on it. You craft something beautiful. For a lot of you, this is nothing. It's like you're not ever going to LARP, probably. For her, it's everything. She's got bows and shields, and she's made battle armor and clothes, and she pursues excellence in those things. And when she's there, she pursues excellence in LARP. And they do accolades, and they give awards and stuff, and that's her chance to say, you know what? This isn't me. Like, I love this, but I just love that God lets me do this. I love that we can come out here and be together. I love you guys even though you don't love me. And they're like, that's not right. And she gets to share. LARPing for the glory of God. 
our hobbies, the areas we could have glory in, but we give it back to God in everything. We can't stress enough, church, that we've got to live differently. People should look at our lives and know there's something different. And we can say, yeah, it's Christ. So LARPing, running, singing, writing, drafting, typing, emailing, walking, breathing, sleeping, resting. Some of you need to rest. Dating for the glory of God. Marriage for the glory of God. Loving your spouse, loving your children, changing diapers. All of it for the glory of God because we bear this image of this creator who is so excellent and worthy of all of our praise. It's what we're called to. How differently would your life look if you pursued everything with the excellence of Christ? And if you're thinking, I don't have enough time, I'm just trying to get things done, one, get them done in the name of Christ. Or two, if you don't have time to pursue everything in Christ's name, you are doing too much, period. If it is keeping you from Christ, it is an idol. That's what idols do. You might need to reach out for help. You might need to let things go in the name of Christ so that you can do what you have before you in the name of Christ in a pursuit of excellence. How much differently would the world look if the church did everything in the name of Christ? If we gave, if we loved, if we fostered and adopted, if we read at reading programs after school, and we taught, and we just listened, in the name of God, in the name of Christ, to the glory of God. God's worthy of so much. He's worthy of literally everything. Everything he does, he does with excellence, including making you including giving you a purpose. As believers, we are marked by excellence, so stop hiding it. Share it. It's a gift. I don't have time to go into all that the church has done this year, our church, University Baptist Church, to show Christ's excellence to the world. When I said earlier, it's a joy to serve alongside you, I mean that. It is a joy to serve alongside you. It is a joy to come along as a family and do this with you. To pursue excellence because as Christians, we are made in the image of an excellent creator. And excellence has a name, and that name is Christ. And God is glorified when we pursue excellence in all those areas, when we allow the power of the gospel to change us and shape us. No more, this is just who I am, that's just how it's going to be, that's just who they are. We can't say that anymore. Because God is so much bigger than that. And there's so much more of him for us than that. So I'm going to pray. I'd like you all to bow your heads. And then I'm going to give a word of invitation. Father, I thank you for your excellent hand that loves us. I thank you for your excellent hand that has reached out to us, that has crafted us, that has given us purpose, God, by your word. I thank you that we can pursue excellence in your name. Not having to bear the weight of not being excellent, God, but having the joy of putting you on display. 
of just pursuing excellence. You will handle the results. It's not our arena, God. Ours is to serve you, to pursue you. And I thank you that you are a God who's close. No matter what circumstance or stage of life we're in, that you are close. I thank you for the power of the gospel in our lives. I pray that we are people who are known by you, that people see us, God, and that they don't see us, that they see you on display in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.